0: I apologize for taking your time. Thank you so much in advance for your support. Enjoy this episode. You are listening to Rabbi Arya Woolby of Torch in Houston, Texas. This is the Thinking Talmudist podcast. Okay, welcome back, everybody. It's so wonderful to be here. Good Friday afternoon to you. Good Erev Shabbos. We're back with a Talmud study. We're back with the Thinking Talmudist Podcast, and I'm thrilled to be here with everyone. I want to again dedicate today's class to the memory of Andrea Walsh. She was a regular at our class and uh a, a a person of passion. She had passion. She had passion for learning. She had passion for truth. And she had passion for wisdom. And she had passion for sharing her stories, which we all loved. So uh, we're going to miss Andrea. and want to de- dedicate today's class to her memory. Okay, so now we're on Tractate Shabbat 23B. The Gemara discusses the use of various types of lamps for the mitzvah of Hanukkah. Rabbi Yitzchok, the son of Radifa, said in the name of Rav Huna, and for those of you who are new to this class, we point out as frequently as we can a reminder. The reminder is that the reason The Talmud is always quoting the source. We're always saying, who said what? And this is, in our case here, it's Reb Bar Radifa who said in the name of Rav Huna, just tell me, someone said. No. We are on a mission for truth. We want to know the truth. And when you are striving for truth, you want to know exactly who said what. It's not the New York Times where we have unnamed, anonymous sources. This is Torah, and Torah is real, and Torah is about truth. And therefore, it's critically important when you're in the pursuit of truth to know the source for everything. Neir sheyesh la shnei pios, a lamp that has two openings on different sides of its cover. Ola l'shnevni adam counts for two people. And this is referring to a menorah. And you're looking at me now, you're saying, one second, you said yesterday, in your halacha class, that two people cannot light from one menorah. Wait a second. This is the discussion. The halacha is always based on the conclusion of the Talmud's discussion. You know already the results. You know the outcome. You know the law. But this is, now we're going a step back, and we're, taking the conversation and bringing that to life. The conclusion of the conversations of the Talmud is what results in halacha, Jewish law. And if you remember, our very, very handy, our very handy sheet here that those of you online can see is the Torah was given at Mount Sinai. Well, the revelation at Mount Sinai, God revealed the Ten Commandments, the principles of all humanity, the principles of Judaism, the principles of the Torah, during the next 40 years, Moshe was transcribing the Torah, the exact dictation from what Hashem says, Moshe writes. Moshe didn't have the right to add or subtract a single letter from the Torah. We have the prophets and the writings. That's the green section here. We have the Tanakh. The Tanakh is the Torah, the Nevim, the Ketuvim. The Torah, the prophets, and the writings. A total of 24 books what we call the written law. Then we have the oral law. The oral law is what we're discussing today, which is the Mishnah, the Midrash, the Kabbalah, the Talmud, the Jerusalem Talmud, the Babylonian Talmud. And that's where we discuss and we argue and we decipher the sources. And then we arrive at the conclusion of it all. And that's the purple area here, which is the first one to write halacha, the conclusion and summarize all of the discussions of the Talmud is the Rambam. Rambam was born in 1135 CE and the Rambam started writing law, the Mishnah Torah, which is the review. Mishnah means the review of the Torah. Mishnah Torah, the review of the entire Torah, meaning the Torah tells us verses. The Talmud discusses all of those in six different categories of wisdom. And then the Rambam goes through all of the Talmud, comes with all the conclusions, and starts putting together, this is the way we wake up, and this is the way we wash our hands, and this is the way we recite blessings. And the Rama was the first to put it into writing in an organized fashion. Then came a few hundred years later, Rabbi Yosef Karo, and the Ramah, Rabbi Moshe Isilish, one was a Sephardic, one was an Ashkenaz, and together we have the Shulchan Aruch, which means a set table. It's all ready to go. Everything you need to know. Now, if you look at the Rambam and you look at the Shulchan Aruch, on the top corner it'll have the source. What's his source? If you look at the at the Talmud, you'll see that the Ram, that the Rambam's writings, where he derived things from the Torah from the Talmud. Says the exact source. And if you look at every page of Talmud, you'll see a verse in the Torah that it all boils down to. This idea that's been promulgated by rabbis who are not orthodox, who are not Torah observant, that the rabbis make up the rules is nonsense. It's unfounded and it's heresy. The rabbis are not allowed to make up any rules. Even this coming festival that we have, Hanukkah, which is coming up, the Talmud actually talks about it. Why are we saying in the blessing, "Asher kidishanu that God sanctified us and blessed us with this commandment? What do you mean? This isn't written in the Torah, Hanukkah. Hanukkah happened a thousand years later. The Talmud talks about it and explains how it is hinted in the Torah. A number of sources, we mentioned them. For example, the day that all of the vessels of the temple were completed was the 25th day of Kislev. Not a coincidence. The 25th word in the Torah is Or, which is light. All hinting to the 25th day of Kislev. And there are many, many other sources. Many, many other reasons. But not least of that it says that the rabbis, who only institute seven laws, all sourced in the Torah. By the way, they don't say when you walk into shul, hop on your right leg, hop on your left leg, turn around. You know, these are these are laws that are all founded in service of the temple, et cetera, et cetera Like washing hands, washing hands is an ordinance from the rabbis. What is it sourced in? The rabbis don't have a right to just make up rules. It's sourced in the way they served in the temple. It's sourced in other areas. but They can't just make up things. Hanukkah is one of those holidays. So we have to understand that, by the way, in the time of the Rambam, people were very, very strongly and adamantly opposed to the Rambam. In fact, the Rabbeinu Yona, who wrote the Sharei Tshuva, the book, the gateway to repentance, He was one of the individuals who burned the books of the Rambam. And he writes that reflecting on it, he realized that he did a terrible thing and he dedicated the rest of his life to teshuva, to repentance. And that's why he wrote the book, Shari Teshuva. You can make mistakes and you can correct the mistakes. The problem was not the people who make the mistakes. The problem of people who don't correct the mistakes. And here, Rabinu Yonah is a perfect example of how he dedicated his life to repentance, to realize, you made a mistake, I went down the wrong path, I got to get out of it and correct my way. Because you realize what the Rambam did. The Rambam did the most incredible service for the Jewish people. He was thinking forward, a 21st century thought, the, you know, Lahavdil Havdil Elif Alfei Avdolos, not to compare between holy and unholy. but you think about, you know, the Google and the other types of uh, valuable resources that are in this world today by people dreaming. And the Rambam here was saying there's going to be a time where people are going to need to know how do I put on my shoes properly. What does the halacha tell me? How? What is the proper? There's no area, by the way, in Jewish law that isn't touched on by the Rambam. Rambam goes through everything, top to bottom. In fact, we have over here the 14 different categories that the Rambam breaks down halacha into. It's remarkable. And it's the only book of law that you will ever read that you open up and you won't be bored to death. You open up the code of U.S. law and you won't know where to start, you won't know where to finish. And even our our lawyer, our in-house attorney, can tell you that it's one of the most boring things. It's not written in, in, in a very beautiful, exciting fashion. Indecipherable. The Rambam, you open up the Rambam, and it's just delicious. You just can't put it down. It is so beautiful how the Rambam wrote the Mishnah Torah. So we have... Jewish law, and that is the conclusion of the discussion of the Talmud. What we're doing now is the discussion. The Rambam is going to, and if you look here on this page right here of Talmud, you'll see that right here on the top corner, you have all of the Rambam's conclusions from this page of Talmud alone. All of these right here. All of these are halakhas, and if you open up a Rambam and you go to these places, you'll find them sourcing each one of these pieces of Talmud, the conclusions. This is the English translation. The inner side is always Rashi. The outer side is the Tosafot. So The Rashi is giving you very clear, concise understanding of what the Talmud is saying. The, the, the Tosafot is going to ask different types of questions. Like, one second, isn't that a contradiction to something that's written in the Talmud over there? And then he explains and brings a resolution. But that's not... Means it's once you understand what Rashi's teaching us and what Rashi's explaining in the commentary of the Talmud so that you can just understand the basic things of what the Talmud's saying. Then the Tosafot, and sometimes they'll argue. The Tosafot, by the way, were much later. They were a generation or two later. There were a group of rabbis, including some of the Rambah, of the of Rashi's grandchildren, were the Baalei Tosafot and they, you know, the, the group of the Baalei Tosfot argued on Rashi many times, but Rashi has prominence because he's older, and the older you are, the closer you are to Moses and Mount Sinai, and therefore we take your opinion much more seriously. But they they they, they never disregard Rashi. They always deal with Rashi in the most honorable and you know distinguished way. But still, it's important to always note that it's okay. To disagree. It's okay to disagree. That doesn't mean you're always right, but you have a level of respect. You have a level of respect. That's why we stand up for our elders, correct? We stand up for our elders. Anybody, by the way, anybody who's over 70, the halacha says you're old and you look like you're in your 20s, right? You look like you... I know that Susan just had her 39th birthday, so happy birthday. But although you're all so young, but someone who is over 70 years old, if they're a scholar or not a scholar, if they're Jewish or not Jewish, you have to stand up for them. Why? Because 70 is a time of wisdom. Someone who lived in this world for 70 years has a lot of wisdom to share. And in Judaism, we value wisdom more than almost anything else. And someone who has wisdom, go ask, go seek. Get counsel. Ask for advice. Wisdom is a very, very important, important element in Judaism. I mean, it's the most important. Okay, so the Talmud now continues. So now, if two people light from a from a lamp, okay, you have that little little pitcher. So let's say you have the oil in here, and you have two different openings on on, on both sides. It counts for two people. Ama Rava, Rava said, In the case, we are one filled a dish with oil and surrounded it with wicks. So now you fill up a dish, fill it up with oil, you put in your wicks inside, and now you'll have a menorah. If before kindling, before kindling, because what did we say yesterday in the halacha? We said, The kindling is the essence of the mitzvah, and therefore it locks it in. You can't change it later. You know, I'm going to light it here and then put them into my menorah. You know, you can't do that. You have to light it as lighting it. It has to be in its proper position. If before kindling he placed a vessel over the dish, his kindling counts for several people. Lo kafala oleha kli asa kemin madura. However, if he did not place a vessel over it, he has rendered the lamp like a big fire, like a large fire. And even for one person, the kindling doesn't count. doesn't count for anybody. Okay, so that's what we mentioned that yesterday. But here the halacha is talking to us about the different ways of having, you know, a group, a group joined together to light and it would be problematic if two people lied from the same dish. Okay. There's something I want to point out And we mentioned previously about, previously meaning in previous classes, about the oil. That How do you get the finest out of the oil? You have to crush, crush the olives to remind the Jewish people we're compared to that oil. We shouldn't need to be crushed in order for us to do the best things possible. Sometimes the Jews only shine when they're being beat. But there's another very important thing. You know that oil and water can never mix. The Jewish people being compared to oil, we need to understand that we can never mix with the nations of the world. Never. Never mix. As much as we try, we try to assimilate, we try to integrate, we try to intermarry, it's not going to change it. The, the, The oil and the water will never mix. Our job is to float to the top. Our job is to be an example for the nations of the world. When we light a menorah, we're showing, we're proud to to wear the banner of our Judaism. We're not hiding from it. We're not running away from responsibility. And we see this, and we're going to see this again next week in the Parsha, the Parsha Review. And the week after, we're going to talk about Yehuda, who takes responsibility for his brother Benjamin. He stands up and fights for him. Leadership, skills, 101. We have, we have to recognize it. The number, the number one thing about Judaism is that we have to be humble. We have to be humble. By the way, there was recently a conference, a, a Jewish con- big Jewish conference in New York. One of the rabbis said something so powerful. He says, you know, there's been an enormous success, financial success, among the Jewish people. I mean forever but in this generation it's the the opulence the uh, the 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 showiness has got taken it to a whole new level and the rabbi the specific rabbi that I heard was beating very hard against it he says the nations of the world hate us for this we're putting daggers in their eyes when we're driving around New York with our Bentleys and our Rolls-Royce and our fancy cars and wearing the nicest clothes and buying the most you know luxurious vacations. And that's not what the Jewish people are supposed to be. We're supposed to be a humble people. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't have success. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't enjoy that blessing. What it means is that we should not be a Bad example for the nations of the world. And we're hurting ourselves by it. We're hurting ourselves by it. And we have to take take a message, take, take, take note of it. But this is not the way we are. This is not who we're supposed to be. Not, this is not the example that God wants us to be for the nations of the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The na- it definitely begets antisemitism. It's uh it's we're not we have to realize that. We think that, oh, the Holocaust, that was 80 years ago. It's not not relevant to us today. No, it is relevant to us today. When you have the most powerful influencer in non-Jewish music talking about his love for the mass murderer who killed more people than almost anyone, there's something problematic. And we have to wake up. As a people, we have to wake up and say, you know what? There's something really rotten here. There's something really wrong with our society. But what did we mention so many times, particularly here in our Talmud class? What did we mention so many times? Antisemitism is only given an ability to rise when the Jews are not in the proper place. When the Jews are doing the right thing, the nations of the world have zero power against us. We're the untouchables. Hashem yilachem lachem v'atem tacharishon. The Torah tells us, Hashem will fight the battles for you. But you have to plug away and do your job. You do your thing. And when the Jews collectively did our thing, the nations of the world didn't touch us. I think Hanukkah is such a perfect time for us to really internalize this message. This is a time that we have to take that light that Hashem has instilled within each and every one of us and shine that to the world. Be a good example of what it means. I'll, I'll give you, a, I, I don't know that I'm a light to the world. I really don't, okay? And I'm not trying to, but today I had a, a dilemma, okay? I, my wife is preparing for Shabbos and she needed a certain ingredient. So I said, you yeah, know, I'll just, I'll run out. I'll go get it. I'll come right back, okay? So of course I get there. I get a cart. I run, get the stuff I need. And I do the quick checkout and I'm out. And I run back to the car. I have my wagon. I unload the bags. And then I'm, there's the wagon. I really don't have time for this. I want to just go. But then I put my, my hat on. And I'm like, no, we need to be an example for the world. We need to, yeah, I'm going to go and bring that wagon back, and it'll take an extra 30 seconds, but I need to be an example. Not only for the world, by the way, for myself, for my children, of how to act. What's the optimal way to conduct our lives? Yeah, you know, look around. There's no no one here, no one here. I'll just leave it right here and run into my car and go. I feel feel it, and I feel that we need to have that responsibility. We need to have that constant, you know, I was once at the supermarket and I I, I do the self-checkout. I I just don't, time is precious and I I don't have time for, you know, waiting and people have, you know, everyone's taking time. Did you find everything? Okay, which is very nice. It's very nice. But, you know, especially I want to be here at this class on time. Okay, so check out my stuff. It tells me you missed an item. That the machine, the self checkout machine, says you missed an item, and it shows me a camera from right above me. Yeah, there's a camera and it plays the recording on the screen from right above me how there was an item that they thought was missed. They didn't miss it. I made sure I counted all my items. It was the correct number, paid, and I went. But it was such a a an important vision that the Almighty sees everything. And people are worried. Oh, Google is listening to everything, or Apple is listening, or Alexa is listening, or whoever it is is listening. What's about fear of the Almighty listening? To every word we say. To every single utterance. Every single thought. They might not know our thoughts. They hear our words. Hashem knows our thoughts. And he's recording 24-7. Instant playback. Playback it's it's something to think about. it's yeah, so yeah, we need to be in light to the nations we need to think about the other nations, but for ourselves as well. What's the optimal person God wants me to be? You're addressing you're addressing a very important topic which is the no 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 no, no which, which is which is the challenge we have with differences. So th- there's a couple of things that we need to talk about when we talk about differences. Number one, it's a good thing for everyone to be unique. Number two, which is, I think, much more important, is it's good for us to be accepting of our differences. It is okay for someone to disagree with you, and it is okay for you to disagree with someone else. That doesn't mean they're wrong and you're right, and it doesn't mean that you're wrong and they're right. It's okay to have differences, but I want to share with you something. You will not find a kinder, more generous, more loving, more friendly more, did I say giving, more giving, and more thoughtful nation on planet Earth. Not a single nation can come close to the kindness that you will find on a single city block in New York City in the Jewish community. I'm talking about for every single thing you can possibly imagine, there's a Jewish cause dealing with it. I'll give you a few examples. So you know the Hatsala, that's my favorite one. Show me a non-Torah observant community on planet Earth that has their own volunteer ambulance where all of the volunteers are volunteers, where all of the responders, where all of the dispatchers, where everyone is a volunteer, and every single penny that comes into any of that souls around the world is by donation only. Find me a single community that has something like Haverim where you'll have in a city like Muncie over 150 calls a day for people who need assistance that are non-medical. It could be a flat tire to an animal in their house to a um, to a key locked in, 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 the, in a car to any type and this is all volunteers and it's all free not funded by any government agency that's just two i have about a hundred more right and one second that's unacceptable We, we look we i don't know what other people do i know what the torah tells us i know what the torah tells us about how we need to conduct and i'm not here to disparage anyone i'm not here to talk down about anyone i'm here to say what what does the torah offer us the Torah offers us the most pristine, most beautiful way to have relationships, the most beautiful way to build a community. I I invite anyone to come to our community. And you know what? There are three different synagogues in walking distance, four different synagogues in walking distance, and everyone says hello to each other, and everyone will come to each other's celebrations, to their bris and to the bar mitzvah and to their weddings. You know you can have a different style of praying. That's fine. You want to sing more. You want to dance more. You want to daven faster. You want to daven slower. That's great. No, I, I, I. Is it in the world? But, but, but here's the question: Is it is it because of Jewish Torah influence, or is it because of secular external influences? So, right. So, this is what we're saying: We need to be that barrier between the secular world and the Torah world. That's what we need to do. And by the way, in our families, in our homes, we cannot allow for our children to be influenced. People say, look, we have a wholesome family and everything, but you're letting your kids get influenced by the television, by movies. And then they're wondering why there's so many tragic, uh, you know, instances where kids are doing crazy things. Well, guess what they're being influenced from? Yes. So the question is, for those of you who are online and for those of you who are on the podcast, do I think that wearing Tsitsis, wearing to fill in, looking different, wearing a black hat or whatever it may be, and walking around proudly like that, does that add to antisemitism? I say, my personal opinion, I say it doesn't add a single bit of antisemitism. On the contrary, it removes the antisemitism. The way I see the nations of the world, the way I see them, is they look to the Jews to be an example. And when we hide from that, from being that example, that's when they hate us more. Now, don't bring me an example from Nazi Germany. Okay, please, okay? But 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 in general, in general, when the nations of the world see the Jews act like Jews, they look up to us and they're afraid of us and they don't want to harm us. But when we try to assimilate and show like we're just like you, we're not just like you. We're the oil. We're not meant to be like them. We're not supposed to stick out, stick, punch out their eyes either. By the way, there are many laws in Judaism about being sensitive and caring to the non-Jews so that they don't hate us more. Is the hatred there? It's it, the ingredients are there, but we put in that formula to make it rise, if by our actions. I want to just—I just want to add. Add. I want to ask the doctor, what's your insight here on what we spoke about regarding influence from social media and uh, and television and movies and so on and so forth? Please, doctor. Amazing. So I want to just share something. Thank you, doctor. I appreciate that very much. I want to just share something that the doctor, uh, the good doctor here, um, has shared with me. I asked. uh, It was a couple years ago. I said, Doctor, I need your guidance. I said my children, you know, all of their classmates are getting these smartphones. I said, what should I do? Is is it really that bad? Is it re-? See he said like this. Correct me if I'm wrong, doctor. I'm quoting you. He said, "Every day that you can delay your children getting a smartphone, the better it is for their mental development. Every day you can push it off." Is that correct, doctor? Yes, he's nodding. Yes. Giving us a a thumbs up. So, but you understand that the the problem is is even more is that is that kids today, our brains are not fully developed till not today. It always has been like this, but till we're you know mature teenagers, mature teenagers today. The problem is, is that children today are not maturing like they did. A thirteen year old today is like an eight year old in the past. You know it takes for a 13 year old to be at the maturity level of a real healthy thirteen year old it takes usually till they're eighteen nineteen it, it, the kids are developing uh their maturity. I'm not talking about physical maturity, I'm talking about emotional intellectual maturity uh, at a much later stage. Doctor, you have some insight I see glow child the book. All right, amazing. So, thank you, thank you, doctor. I appreciate it. And we're talking about a world-class psychiatrist here, part of our class already for many years. Thank you, doctor, for being our in-house medical professional. We appreciate it. Right. So, so the problem is that the, the the people. Okay, so you're saying a very good point is that your daughter's generation, which is today's millennials or Generation Z, are you know are dealing with anxiety. They're dealing with so much anxiety. In the previous generation, you never heard of someone dealing with anxiety. What do you mean, right? It wasn't as not that there wasn't doctor was in business then too, right? But it, it, it's a it's a problem that's much more prevalent, much more common today than it's ever been. And what's the reason for it? I think that the reason is not only social media, not only all of that, because people are constantly looking. You know, there's someone who said, "I decided I'm going to walk around." And do the exact same thing I do on Facebook with people, like real living people that I meet. And he walks over to people and he shows them pictures of his wife and his children and what he had for breakfast and he's showing them. And he says, I have four people following me now, two police officers, an investigator and a psychiatrist, It's really crazy that people allow certain things to be posted and people are posting things. But that's not the only reason there's so much anxiety. I think the biggest reason is because we're living in a generation that has so much abundance and zero gratitude, zero appreciation where people don't stop and say, you know what, thank you, Hashem, for giving me food. Like the, the simple, the basics. And if we let go of giving thanks for that, then we don't have happiness. It's You know, it's a very interesting thing. You know what the, the holiday of Hanukkah is? <speaking in Hebrew> to give thanks. That's what it's about. You want to be happy? Give thanks and give praise. The whole holiday is dedicated to giving praise and giving thanks to the Almighty for His incredible gifts that He's given us. Yes. Yeah, I think I think it's absent parents also, you're mentioning absent parent, right? It's it's not only that they're not there, they are busy with their phones too. Parents are busy with their phones all day. This addiction of never ending checking their status and checking their friends' status and checking uh the Instagrams and the and the uh Facebooks and the TikToks or whatever else that there is, uh I don't let la- I don't have any of those apps on my phone. Not, not one of them. I don't want any of them on my phone. I don't want to be busy with them. But it, it's, it's doing damage. It's doing real damage, and we have to be very careful about it. Yes. All right. uh, look, uh, look. I, I don't know. It, it's, it's definitely a discussion. It's definitely something that needs to be, to be, to be hashed out. But let me, let me share with you a different, a different perspective. There was a rabbi who was traveling on a train, and his guy sits, fellow sits down next to him, and he says to him, "Why do you Jews need to look so different? Look at you Jews." Look at look look! You have to wear the hat and you wear the, the, the this and the that. He says, "Excuse me, I'm Amish." He says, "Oh, I'm so sorry." Says, "I really love the way you're dressing, and I love that that it's so unique. And it's like you understand it, it. It's I think it's it's just a a cover. It's not really true. It's not. They don't think that it is." If, the, if there's a hatred to the Jewish people, then the hatred will be on whatever it is. We don't like that you drive fast. We don't like that you drive slow. We don't like that you have money. We don't like that you don't have money. We don't like that you're educated. They don't like that you're not educated. We don't, whatever it is, they're going to gonna they're, they're gonna point the fingers are. No, they're not the Jews. We're the chosen people. Asher Bachar Bonamikol Amim. God chose us from every other nation. We're never going to be able to change that. They were imagine I, i've given this example before eliezer is a new member in our class here eliezer as a thank you we're going to give you a lottery ticket okay we're going to give him a lottery ticket and he says oh you know it's also my birthday but you know what i'm feeling benevolent and i'm feeling you know i'm in a giving mood and he turns to ed to his left and he says ed here you take the lottery ticket ed's like thank you so much but I, you know thank god i'm retired I invested at the right time. I'm good. Leave me alone. I don't need nobody's, nobody's gifts. And he passes it on and so on. It gets all around the table and it ends up with Susan. Susan gets the, the, uh, lottery ticket and she wins. And it's $450 million. And what's everyone going to be saying now? Yeah, everyone's like, you know, you should really split it between us because I really had it. I didn't really mean it. It was just a gesture. It's just a this. There'll be lawsuits about it. It's gonna. It's not gonna be so simple. Guess what? The entire world had the Torah. Hashem offered the Torah to every single nation. Every nation had a prophet like Moses. In fact, there were some nations that had a greater prophet than Moses, like Bilam. Bilam was more powerful. A prophet that the, the the Talmud teaches us than Moses, so that the nations shouldn't say, oh, if we had Moses, we would have also been the chosen people. No, they had even more powerful than Moses, and they said no. And now they're looking at us and like, you know, you got the Torah, but and they're not saying this verbally, but that's what they feel. And the the people who join the Jewish people, the, the future converts, the Midrash tells us, are the people who, when they went to the French and they said, "Anybody want the Torah? Anybody want it?" They're like, "What does it say in it?" Well, "Thou shall not uh, commit adultery." <laughs> <laughs> no, no, when not, that's not—that's not for us, right? But there were some people said, "Oh, we want it. We want to be God's chosen people." Those are the future converts. Those who said yes are the ones that are going to be the future converts, my dear friends. Sadly, I need to run to a funeral of one of our fellow uh, classmates um, at Beth Jacob Cemetery, so we're going to have to end this fun, enjoyable debate and class a little bit early. Uh, I want to thank you all. Have a terrific Shabbos. And again, do a mitzvah today in memory of Andrea. She can't do mitzvahs anymore. Let's do a mitzvah. Whatever it is, any single mitzvah, say a prayer, say a blessing, Uh, kiss your mezuzah, do something special in memory of Andrea. It should be a merit to her. Amen. Have a great Shabbos, everybody.